I invite you to turn to Psalm 19. If you're new with us, we are in an ongoing sermon series in which we take one psalm every Sunday, and we are now to Psalm 19. That means that if the Lord wills, Lord willing, our plan is that next Sunday we'll be in Psalm 20. Uh, this last week, one of you, Denise, uh, she, she printed out this beautiful little card. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. She said, I needed to print it and put it right in front of me so that I would remember, she said. I need to keep this truth, this prayer in front of me. She gave me a copy this morning. I, I, what I love about it is not only the truth is the preparation this week, of meditating on Psalm 19 because that's the last verse of the passage we're going to look at this morning. And I encourage you this week to take Psalm 19, Psalm 20, and prepare your mind and heart for next Sunday's sermon. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the Bibles in front of you. And if you don't own one, we'd love for you to take it and keep it as a gift. Before I read scripture, um, I, I want to read a quote. I think it's up on the screen. Is that... Is there a quotation? Okay. Well, I'll read it, and I'll read it nice and slowly. Listen to these words. The words of the Bible, this book, are the very words of God. They're the very words of God, our Creator, speaking to us. They are completely truthful. They are pure. They are powerful. They are wise and righteous. We should read these words with reverence and awe and with joy and delight. Through these words, God gives us eternal life and daily nourishes our spiritual lives. Faith Church, I hope that you will take this into your you will take these words to heart. If you're visiting this morning, if you're watching online, I pray that you'll take these truths to heart. Let me say them once again. The words of the Bible are the very words of God and our creator speaking to us. They are completely truthful. They are pure, they are powerful, they are wise and righteous. We should read these words with reverence and awe and with joy and delight. Through these words, God gives us eternal life and daily nourishes our spiritual life. The psalm we're coming to this morning, Psalm 19, is one of the most well-known and beloved psalms. I remember learning this ver a version of this psalm from the King James Version when I was in elementary school with the song starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Anyone ever hear that song? I have name, hands throughout the room. The testimonies of the Lord are right. And it would end, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I remember singing that. I remember that song to this day. C.S. Lewis, the great 
literary scholar, and known for the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote a thing on the Psalms, and he said of this Psalm, he said, of all of the Psalms, this is the greatest poetry. In fact, he says, these are some of the greatest lyrics in the history of literature. David wrote this Psalm, and God passed this Psalm to the church to know the greatness of God's revelation to us. I've entitled this psalm, The Glory of God's Word. This psalm speaks to us the message, and he says this, it says it to us. He says, behold the beauty and the blessedness of God's word and respond appropriately in the fear of the Lord. Behold the beauty and the blessedness of God's word. Now, after last week's sermon, where we had 50 verses in Psalm 18, this psalm seems short. It's only 14 verses. And I, I see them divided into three general sections. Maybe you could say three stanzas or three paragraphs. Verses 1 through 6, then verses 7 through 11, and then verses 12 through 14. Let's read the psalm. I'm going to read this to you if you'd follow along. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, would you make that our, my prayer and our prayer right now as we look at this psalm. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, the meditations and thoughts over these verses right now, be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do we see and hear in this psalm? 
we see the glory of God's word. And I want you to see it in the three sections, and I'm going to say it in three different ways. Psalm 19 calls us, first of all, to look up and listen. Then it tells us to look down and delight. And lastly, it calls us to bow down and surrender. Look up and listen, verses 1 through 6. Do you see that? David, the psalmist, invites us in this psalm into an act of worship as he cries out to God, and he cries out in worship to God, and in verses 1 through 6, he says, look up and listen. God is speaking through creation. The heavens declare, they declare, literally, it would be, they are declaring the glory of God. They are proclaiming the skies above. When the heavens represent all the skies above, the stars, the planets, the clouds, what we see above us. And he says, they are singing. They are making a message known. And it says here, day to day and night to night, they reveal knowledge. They pour out speech. There's, and then he goes and he says, they don't use speech. There's no literal words they're using, but whether you speak a language or not, no matter what language you speak, all hear it. Verses one through four, the psalmist wants to cause our meditations, our imaginations, our minds to be lifted upward to the creation and specifically the creation of the skies that God made. And we see them as he spoke his word in Genesis 1. He made the lights, the greater and the lesser, and the skies and the lights in the sky. He made all of the universes and galaxies. And as we, over the last even 100 years, in the last hundreds of years, have learned so much more specifically of the grandness and the glory and the beauty of this universe, Larry sent me and several others some pictures of the Hubble telescope, and they are absolutely astounding as we have learned over the years how grand and how glorious and how big and beautiful The skies, the heavens are. He says here, the heavens declare something. They declare not the glory of you and me, the glory of God. They proclaim his handiwork, the work of his hands. He says it declares the glory of God. The word God here in the Old Testament Hebrew was not the word that's used, and we're going to see later in this psalm, which is Lord. It is God, which is the word El, which was actually a more generic name for God in the Old Testament. The pagans, the pagan nations around them that served other gods, they referred to that same God title. But David is going to declare that the true God is the God who made the heavens and the skies. And he alone is God, and his glory is being declared and proclaimed at all times by what he has made. They are his handiwork. They are the work of his hands. In these verses, he says, there's a message going. Are you listening? It's going through the skies. 
You see it in the plants, in the sun, in the moon, in the stars. Day and night, he says, it's constant. He says, day by day and night by night, you see the sky in the day and you say it's glorious and beautiful, especially on a sunny day. Or maybe in the December months where we have that multicolored sky with clouds and the different shades of the sun as it goes up and down and goes through the sky when we actually get the sun, or at least we get to see it in the state. And he says, it's without words, we are, it is declaring a message. In fact, in the ancient world, before they had any telescopes, before they had anything else, imagine is if, they, if all we had was day, we would see something beautiful, but we wouldn't know the grandness that something else was out there. But by night, All of a sudden it gets dark and all of a sudden we see something that was already out there but we were not able to see but in the darkness. And he says the darkness is proclaiming something as well. It is sending a message. It is speaking. Hear the message it says. Glory be to the creator. Glory be to God. The message of creation, the skies and the heavens are saying As one poem or one hymn writer writes, these skies, these heavens are declaring this message. The hand that made us is divine. And he is powerful. He is wise. He is majestic. Maybe we add to that beautiful, glorious. He is joyful. He is watching and he transitions, if you look down in your verses there, at the end of chapter, or verse 4, you could label it 4C, he moves to the sun. So he, leave, he starts generally with the skies, then he moves specifically to the suns, and he says, in them, in the heavens, in the skies, and this is all from a human perspective, he has set the tent, a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. He moves specifically to the sun. And he says the sun is like two different things. He describes the sun declaring the glory of God, one as a bridegroom getting out of his chamber, going after his bride and going to his marriage. I, I remember 20, almost 21, it'll be 21 years this summer. I remember 21 years as we were getting ready for that wedding. We did pictures for it. There, there are some pictures they would traditionally get the groomsmen with the groom, and they would, they, would take, they would pose these pictures of the groom getting cold feet, not going to the wedding, and the groomsmen pulling them back. Have you ever seen those? And they suggested that to me, and I said, no way. I am really excited about this wedding. Instead, they tried to pull me away from the wedding hall, and instead I was running after it. That's, this picture is of a bridegroom saying, I'm getting married. I can't wait. I'm going after it. And he's saying, the sun, imagine the sun as it rises in the morning, and it goes across the earth from our perspective and then goes back down is like a bridegroom going after with joy. And so it declares the glory of God that way. And it is like a strong man, a champion running. Not like if any of us got out today and ran the 10-mile race called the Crim, none of us would look this way. We'd be limping and walking and maybe strolling and getting bikes or something like that. We would not be running it. This picture is a champion 
sprinting past the finish line with a big smile on its face, with joy and delight, and he says that's the sun. And in so doing, it is uniquely declaring the glory of God. That the sun searches all of the earth. Imagine not the sun in the winter of Michigan, but imagine the sun of the Middle East that comes down and beats hard, providing for the earth for plants to grow, but also searching and penetrating heat almost at every place. And so he says, even the places that are hidden, that sun comes and impacts, and so does God in all that he does. Listen. Oh, did you, have you heard, did you listen this week? Did you listen when the sun came out? You might not have heard it audibly, but do you listen with your heart? Do you see that's God at work? Do you see the skies? Look out tonight, look out when we have a cloudless night and behold the glory of God, his glory. Now, Paul would say in Romans 1 that we all, hear and see all humanity, whether they know the word of God, the truth of God's Bible, that we can know and plainly see truth about God because his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he's made, including the heavens. And we as Christians should love the universe and the world that he has made. We should explore it. We should be people of science. We should be people of ingenuity. We should be people that look and explore the human body, the the universe, the world that he has made, and, and rejoice. And he made it in this way in which we could understand and perceive it. He is a God of order. He is a God of glory. He is a God of grandness. He's a God of wisdom. Look up and listen, the psalmist wants us to say. They, the skies declare his greatness, his power, and his beauty. Verses 1 through 6. Now, for some, it might seem like this is two different authors or somebody just took a bunch of psalms and just pushed them into one chapter because change of subject in verse 7, right? That's what it kind of looks like. But not really. David has a, a great message for us. Verses 1 through 6 says, look up and listen. God's speaking through creation. Verses 7 through 11, he's going to say he's speaking in a different way in a vital way, in a way that it is only possible for us to have the eyes to see like verses 1 through 6 we're supposed to see if the truth of verses 7 through 11 are real. Note in verses 7 through 9, we get six synonyms or alternative words for God's word. Law, testimony, Precepts, commandment, fear, rules. And in these verses, he gives us statements about what God's word is. God's word is perfect and it's sure and it's right and it's pure and it's clean and it's true. And it's righteous altogether and it's enduring forever. And it tells us what God's word does. It revives the soul. 
It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. This passage, this psalm, this poetry, this poetry put to wor- for song for God's people to worship God with is to say, it says, look down and delight. God has spoken through his law. He says, the law of the Lord And he uses not the word God like he used in verse 1. He says the word, the law of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That is the name of God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. It's the name of the God who has come near to his people. The God who is who he is, has always been, has come to his people and made a covenant with Israel. And made a covenant and made a, a plan for us to be redeemed and to be his redeemed people. And he says, God spoke to us. He did not leave us to ourselves. He did not leave us to just this vast universe of which we could speculate of who this God is. We can know this God. And this God's word is perfect and flawless. That's what that means. It is his testimonies are sure. That word testimonies, his covenant, it's absolutely trustworthy His precepts, which means his moral injunctions that he says, you must do these things, just like the commandments, honor your father and your mother, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not take my name in vain. All of them are pure and absolutely right, and his truth leads to the fear of the Lord, and it is clean, and his rules are true. This, remember Psalm 1 when the psalmist says, but the righteous man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, his law, he meditates day and night. And he says he is like a tree that's planted by streams of water. In comparison to being a plant that's in a desert, he's by streams of water that yields fruit rather than fruitlessness. And his leaf doesn't wither rather than being withered and dying. And all that he does, he prospers. The psalmist is saying, oh, the benefits of God's word, that God has given to us his law. This idea of law and testimony and precepts and commandments and fear and rules are all different ways of saying God's holy word that he has given to you, including in his law of the Old Testament. We now, as New Testament believers, don't just say the Old Testament law, that which was what David was referring to, because that's what was there when he was writing. But we now take Old Testament and New Testament, all of it, and say the word of God and the benefits are astounding, he says. He says they revive the soul. Literally, it returns the soul. It brings it back to repentance. It restores it. I wonder if you're here this morning, and what you need so desperately is a restoring of your soul. This word soul has to do with the inner person, the real you, who what makes you tick and directs your life, the real you and drives you. It says it restores, it revives. It brings where death has now occurred or just dying, it brings life, he says. It says he makes wise the simple. 
All of us by nature go our own way and we make our own plans and we are not walking in the law of the Lord in wisdom, but the law, this word, actually makes us wise and it rejoices our hearts and enlightens the eyes and endures forever and is righteous altogether. Some of us might think the law, law is not something to delight in and rejoice in. But that's not the testimony of God's people. The testimony of God's people do not see the law as just a bunch of instructions to make our lives a little bit more uncomfortable so that we obey a divine God. God is some cosmic killjoy out there putting all these things around so that we have to jump through hoops so that we can get to heaven someday and so the law is a necessary evil to get what we really want in heaven that's not how the bible's vision of the law it is God speaking to us and revealing his will and his way and his goodness and his sacrificial provision so that we could be made right with God. God's law is his communicating of his very self to us in order to make us his children and provide forgiveness and life. God's law is glorious and beautiful. Every commandment in the Ten Commandments, every command that he gives us, is his is implied obey me because I love you and I am not wasting my commandments on you instead I desire to make you truly and fully rejoicing of your hearts forever he says he gives a summary of this in verses 10 through 11 more to be desired are all these things about God's word God's law, his word, his precepts, his commands, his rules, his everything, it is more to be desired than all of the riches of this world. Money, great riches, will not help you get to know your maker. The wealth of this world will not bring you the restoration of your soul. It will not rejoice your heart. It will not make you wise. The word of God will do that, but the riches, and he says, it is greater than all riches. Or he says, moreover, and he says, it is greater than all, all, all physical pleasures that out here. He says, he says, take honey, the sweetest thing that probably David could think of. And he would say, it is sweeter than honey. Oh, would you desire it? He's saying, desire it with all your heart. God's law, his word, what he's revealed about himself to us. Oh, it is his grace. You see, because the centrality of this book, the centrality of God's law, which leads ultimately to the good news and points us to Jesus Christ, is that God is a great and glorious God, and we are not and we are separated from him. And we are in a great and horrible place apart from his rescuing mission. And yet he makes a covenant that everyone who turns away from themselves and looks wholly and solely to him and his provision, namely Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The beginning of that promise as he comes to die on a cross and to raise, be raised from the dead 
And he gathers and makes a new people who are entered into this kind of covenant, this pledge, this promise to be his people forever. And it's God's word that gives us to us. God, David is going to say, look down. Look down and delight. Look down and find the rejoicing of your heart. And he's going to say, God's word is priceless. It's satisfying. It's protecting. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. Oh, friends, there is a great warning that's out there. If you choose your own way, I warn you today, you will regret it. I warn you today that if you ultimately choose your way and not God's way, you will regret it eternally, not just with some mild regrets covered up with some comforts of heaven that might not be as good. I'm not talking about that. You will spend eternity in anguish if you choose your own way. And he says, by God's word are we warned. Every Sunday, you are hearing an implied warning and, a, and an invitation to God's grace and love. The warning says, sin and rebellion and pride will always lead to everlasting anguish. And obedience, it requires faith. It requires trusting God when it doesn't seem right. Faith in God and obedience to God is always life-giving and truth. Oh, I love how Paul writes and encourages the young Christian Timothy when he says, he says to Timothy, remember from your child how you've been acquainted by the sacred writings. That's what David's talking about. Which is able to make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, we should, one, you could write in your Bibles if you're a Bible marker. In Psalm 19, write Psalm 119, easy to remember. If you go and flip back, back to further in the Psalms to Psalm 119, you'll find an, a long, the longest psalm in the, in the Bible. And in this psalm, he continually glories in the word of God. And he says things like this, oh, how I love your law. It is, it is my meditation all the day long. Because it, in 19, he, he revives the soul. He restores. He rejoices the heart. By them, are, by this are his your servant warned, and in keeping there is great reward. I know you've heard all these things. I pray that God, once again, through his spirit, would help us to hear it in a way that we really look down and we delight in 2022. We would look down at this word and we would start to find the God of this Bible so real and so true and so restoring and saving and rescuing and forgiving and commanding 
and yet loving and correcting and comforting. And that we would be, we would be ravished by his word this Christmas. The last thing we see is verses 12 through 14. It is kind of a conclusion. Again, it seems like a, a sharp turn or break, just like the other end of paragraph to the next, verse 12. And I'm going to say these words, bow down and surrender. First is look up and listen. God speaking through his creation. Look down and delight in his word and now bow down and surrender. Look at verses 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? That's what David says. He says, who can discern errors? Who can know them? My mistakes, my ways, my sins, who can know them? I'll, you should ask that question to God and yourself. I don't even know the half of my sin sometimes. Sin is any thought, word, or action that is not conforming to the absolute obedience to God. Sin is when we do not love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor is ourself every moment of our being. And David's going to say, who can discern his errors? There's times I don't even know I'm sinning, I'm sinning. And then he says, we find in these verses a, a bowing down and surrendering and a dependence and an absolute humility of crying out to God and saying, God, help me. As I listen to your creation speaking, and as I look down and I see your law and what it does, it warns me and it offers reward. Who can discern all my errors? And he says, God, would you declare me innocent of my hidden faults? Where I've sinned and I didn't even know I sinned. And when I sinned and I, I, I don't even remember. I need you to declare me innocent. Because if you don't, I'm a mess. I, I can't declare myself innocent. And then in verse 13, keep, he, he prays desperately to God. Would you protect me, protect your servant me from presumptuous sins, from just... Knowing that this book says something, your law says something, you want something, and I don't care. I'm just going to choose my own way. And David says, oh God, would you protect me from being disobedient? Would you help me to see that you're so precious that how foolish it would be to live dis disobediently? Because you're so good, you're always out for my good. Would you keep me back? Now notice what he's saying here. He's admitting, he's saying, unless you help me, I can't do it myself. This is the humble cry of a believer that says, God, I know I need to live obediently. I also know that I don't live obediently often. God, I need you to help me and change my heart and work in my soul. He says, please do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And he ends with this declaration that all of us need. We all need something like this in, our in front of our desk. We need this all in our mirror before when we get up in the morning. We need this on our phone to remember. David says, oh God, let the words of my mouth, let all my words, how are your words this week? Were the words of your mouth pleasing to God. My weren't. I've had plenty of times this week to apologize to my wife and to my kids especially for my words not being 
acceptable. They could be filled with impatience and the expression of idols of my own heart that says, my comfort is the most important thing, or my affirmation, or my way. And David says, would you let God, would you let, would you cause the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart, the things I think on when I'm laying down, when I'm driving to work, when I'm doing the jobs that I'm doing and my mind just begins to wander and think about things. Oh God! And when I am focusing on your word, help the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be acceptable in your sight because you see everything. Just like nothing is hidden from the sun Sight or heat, as he says in verse 6. So nothing is hidden from God. There are no hidden faults from God. There are no hidden words from God. There are no hidden imaginations. God knew and has a category of all your thought life this week. And all your words this week. Thankfully, that's not the only part of the story. He made a way to be acceptable before him. Even though we all know our words and our hidden thoughts are not acceptable to God at all times. He says, O Lord, that is, O Lord, O Yahweh, O covenant God who shows steadfast love. This is Exodus 34. Who shows steadfast love and mercy and grace, but never overlooks and lets the guilty go unpunished. How can he do that? Because God made a covenant with his people that he would send his son to be the lamb of God who would take away our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And David ends this psalm by saying, Oh Lord, you are my Lord, my rock. That means if, if I put my trust in my own words, in my own thoughts, in my own ways, I would crumble and I would not be standing on a sturdy rock and I would fall and fail And my heart would not rejoice. My heart would not be revived. I would be left to my folly and I will be destroyed forever. But he says, instead, you are my rock. When when I am failing, you are strong. You are this sturdy place that I can go upon and you will not let me go. You are strong and unchanging, as unchanging and flawless and as forever as this word that will abide forever. He says, you are my rock and my, my redeemer. This redeemer is the one who pardons by purchasing our forgiveness. He pardons us and makes us clean of hidden faults. He makes us clean and from presumptuous sins. He makes these our rock and our redeemer by sending his son. I, I've spoken to you this morning of the glory of God's word. He spoke to us in creation. He speaks to us in his word, the Bible. And ultimately, he speaks to us gloriously. This whole book is all about his son, Jesus Christ. And in Hebrews chapter 
1, he says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son, in whom he appointed heir of all things, in whom he created the world. This Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. More than the stars, more than the sun, more than the galaxies, more than all out there, the radiance of the glory of God came at Christmas in a manger and he came to die and he rose again from the dead. He is the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. And it says that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds that very universe by the the universe he made by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does it mean he made purification for sins? He was the redeemer. He was the lamb of God. He stretched out his arms on the cross and he was he took upon the wrath of god on himself instead of us all of the all of our impure unacceptable imaginations and meditations all our unacceptable words all of our rebellions and hidden faults and presumptuous sins he took upon himself in order to be our substitute to be our redeemer And purchase our everlasting life that begins right now, continues right now, world without end. So, oh, let us, let us cherish Christ this Christmas. If you don't know Christ, I invite you to life. I invite you to his word. I invite you to a word that says you can be his child and you can be forgiven and you can have your heart rejoiced and you can have your heart, soul revived. Oh, I invite you this morning who are Christians, which is probably most of us, would you cherish this word, cherish and delight in the word that you'll see tonight and listen to with the sky as you go out today, even if it's cloudy, seeing those clouds and knowing what's there, enjoying the intricacies of a December winter and rejoicing in the God who made it in his majesty. Oh, let us take this word this week and this year and, and, and act like verses 7 through 11 are true because they are, it is more precious than gold. I promise you, if, I, if, I, if, you had, if you credibly believe somebody said to you this week that if you do certain things or read this book cover to cover, you would receive a great fortune, I guarantee you would read this book cover to cover. It's, believe it. It is greater than any fortune, anything could be promised to you. Oh, may we obey his words. May we believe him. May we delight in them. May we listen to it. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that we would let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable. God, I pray that the young young people here that are in school... They're they're just learning 
doctrines and learning things about the Christian faith. I pray that they would cherish the word of God so much. I pray their parents would. I pray that the children in this room would know that it's a powerful truth, your word, because they see mom and dad always reading, always praying, always seeking your word and obeying it. I pray that the elderly in this church would show us the way, but never, ever getting tired of your words. Help them to be nourished this week by your truth. And again, God, I pray that you would call anyone this morning that is not your child, and you'd bring them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing... I want to invite you at the end of the service, when we're all done, I'll be up here in the front. If you want to talk to me about what does it mean to truly be a Christian? How can you be saved? How can you have eternal life? How can you have his forgiveness? How can you have the rejoicing of the heart that's found in this book? I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Let's stand.